For me, it wasn't about selling jewelry. It wasn't about the sales. I wanted to know what you wanted to achieve. We created this thing where when you applied to become a merchandiser, the most important piece there was this paragraph that you filled out and it was called the CNIY. We wanted to know why you were there. What I discovered in doing that is that what truly brings me joy is helping others realize their dreams. I realized that what truly fulfilled me was that I needed to be in a service industry. Like I needed to be of service to people. And that's why Colonia's Belt was so fulfilling. The voice you just heard is Chantel Waterbury, who was once named one of the top 20 CEOs in New York City for her outstanding servant leadership at the social selling jewelry platform, Chloe and Isabel. She founded and built her brand from scratch to over a $100 million valuation. But what she's most proud of are the legions of young entrepreneurs, mostly women, who were able to live their dreams because of the opportunity that Chantel created at CNI. Chantel's business acumen and leadership philosophies were significantly shaped by her experience selling Cutco with Vector Marketing. As you listen to her journey, you'll be struck by the many parallels in how both Cutco Vector and Chloe and Isabel have strived to build organizational success by focusing on the development of each individual. This intentionality around servant leadership can be an integral part of your own entrepreneurial success in whatever you build in the future. I know you'll get tremendous value from today's conversation, and I'm proud to share with you the story and lessons of Chantel Waterbury. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. You're in for a treat today. I'm super excited to have Chantel Waterbury as my guest on the podcast. Chantel sold Cutco back in 1993. Yes, can't believe it's been that long, <laughs> but it has. She was a college All-American right out of the gate, one of the top student sales reps in the company. She went to school at Santa Clara University, which is where I went to school and also where I operated my sales office as a brand new district manager back then. And so I had a chance to work with Chantel for a little bit as she was at school. After college, Chantel got into the jewelry industry, rose the ranks there, and eventually founded her own jewelry selling business called Chloe and Isabel. And we're going to hear a little bit about that journey today. 
She was named one of the top 20 CEOs in New York City, been featured in Forbes, Bloomberg, and many other places for her excellent work throughout her career. Today, Chantel is an entrepreneur and advisor helping businesses to scale their operations. She's married, has two kids, lives on Long Island. And you, as I said, are going to be in for a treat hearing her story and her lessons today. Chantel Waterbury, it's so great to see you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I, I really am very excited to be here. All right. It's been so long and I'm really happy that we're connecting in this way. I know people will learn a lot from you and, and uh, you, you've got a real inspirational story. And on that note, take us back. Tell us a little bit about your personal background to start. Yeah. So I'll give you somewhat of a, a high-level summary of it because it's it can be a long story <laughs> if we let it. But I grew up with a single mom and kind of this was actually not even where I ended up going to school, which I know you kind of referenced, but kind of struggled. My mom struggled with both health issues, a combination of, of physical and mental health issues, which I don't think I necessarily fully understood at the time, but very much had this an aspiration to get out of a very small town in Northern California to have a different kind of life. And what was interesting is that from the time I was in fifth grade, I had made the decision that I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I was completely like maniacally focused on getting into medical school. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to fix people like my mother because I could see that something was wrong, but I didn't totally understand, you know, what it was, why, and ended up getting into a private high school that was about, I don't know, several hours north from where I lived and ended up leaving home at 13 and kind of figuring out, you know, my own path as I had moved to, to this new town. But in that process, I ended up becoming emancipated when I was 15, which at the time I didn't realize that when I was graduating from high school, that when you're applying for, for colleges, it kind of changes your eligibility for financial aid. And it was through that journey when I suddenly discovered that when you're applying to schools without, even though, even though my mom had essentially no income at all, and I would have been eligible for all sorts of financial aid because she was not a part of that process, I ended up becoming eligible for almost no financial aid. And I found myself now needing a lot of money to go to a private university and not knowing how I was going to get there. And mm. that's really where my journey kind of begins with, with Cutco. I don't know if you want me to dive right into that, but... Yeah. How, how did you find out about Cutco at that point? So it was interesting is up to that point, you know, I'd always been working more you know, at hospitals. I was everything that could, again, reinforce my journey towards medical school. And all of those jobs were hourly jobs. There was a cap on what you could make. And I wish I had, I wish I had the ad. I wish I could see what it is that I saw in the newspaper that made me pick up the phone, call, and end up in this, <laughs> this office on Main Street in Red Bluff, California. <laughs> but I just remember it made me feel like unlimited earning potential. And that's what I needed. I needed something that didn't have a cap on it. I remember walking into that office and, you know, not having a clue what I was getting myself into <laughs> and meeting Jesse Levine and just thinking, you know what? 
what do I have to lose? You know, I had never had a sales job in my life. I'd never worked retail in my life. I mean, I knew nothing, nothing about that industry. And you so, were 17 years old at yeah, this I point? Turned, I turned 18 in August. Right, so about to turn 18. of the and, summer. And Je- Jesse himself was either 18 or 19. He wasn't much older than me. I remember thinking, who's the time. kid? <laughs> right, right. Running his but very first this, branch office. spirit, though. Like, he, oh, yeah. he was infectious that he made me think I could sell knives. I was like, maybe yeah. I can't do this, you know? Right, right. It was, I mean, everybody thought I was nuts. And all I could think of is, I just remember this, this pay scale where it was like, as soon as you got to this amount, you were making... I think like 40 or 50% of what you sold. And so I just thought I have to get to that marker. That's that's all that mattered. And if I could do this, then I could make enough money for my first year or first two years for that matter of, right. of school. And I just made a goal. I set out every single day and I hit the road every single day for the entire summer and hit my goals. I mean, it was... Yeah. It was insane. I can't believe how many knives I sold. (laughs) Right. Now, now having come from the background that you described, you weren't just tapping into like a network of like, you know, neighbors and people all around you that were, you know, relatively layup sales. Like you really had to manufacture your ideal client base through your own effort, through a lot of hard work and, and dedication, right? Oh yeah. It not only was I not from the town of Red Bluff, so like I was not born and raised there. I came there my freshman year in high school. But not only that, I wasn't even going to the public school. I was going to a teeny tiny private school where the entire freshman class was 30 students. I mean, there's the entire school was 120 students. <laughs> so mm. I didn't know anyone. And, and the people that were there largely weren't even from there, right? Because we're all from all over the place, you know, popping into the school. And, and the only reason why I was able to go to the school was because I got a full ride as the top graduate of my eighth grade class. So the entire thing was, was not even planned. It happened so last minute that I was even moving to this town. Where was so, your hometown? I w- my hometown was a town called Oroville. Oh, in Oroville. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this was up in Red Bluff. I had never been there prior to the day. I just, I put an ad in the, in the church bulletin that like student needs housing. I mean, I didn't even tell my mother I was doing this <laughs> and this older, like this empty nest couple replied and basically was like, we'll give you room and board, you know, for, I'll never forget $280 a month. And I was like, oh my God, or I think it was $285 a month. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to pay for this? <laughs> like, how am I going to this? And my, uh, I have two older, two older um, half brothers and they helped me pay for it until, you know, I was able to get emancipated and figure it all out. But yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really know. It started with, with the people that I lived with that freshman year, those, those empty nesters, it started with them and I sold them a set of knives. And I just remember her handing me her address book and just saying, I don't know if any of these people will be interested, but you're welcome to take down these names. And that's how it how it started. And I just remember thinking, this is going to be too expensive for people in this little tiny town where I felt like nobody had had any money. I mean, it was right. just, I can remember going to trailer homes and thinking, what am I doing? And I would walk out with an order for, for a galley plus, what was it? Galley plus four, galleys plus six. I don't even remember, but it was something like that. <laughs> and yes. I was like, because 
And as you will see, I am still a massive fan and I'm a believer in, in Cutco because as you know, as they trained us, but I fully believe this, you're going to save money over the long haul, right? Like if you get something of quality and I'm like this with everything, clothing, everything that I do, it's like quality over quantity, have something that lasts, you know, can stand the test of time. And I think what that taught me very young that I didn't even realize was so important is how important it is to do something that you really believe in. I so wholeheartedly believe and to this day believe that I was, I'm doing these people a favor, right? Like they're going to mm-hmm. thank me for the rest of their lives is how I thought about it. And I can remember the following summer because at that point, I felt like I had sold knives to like everybody in the tri-state area or the tri-county area, right? I had like Butte County, Tama County, like there was no, like everybody has them and they're forever guaranteed. Like people don't move to these towns. (laughs) So, So the following summer when I went home, I tried selling something else. It's like this vacuum air filtration system. And it was terrible. I wouldn't, I refused to sell it to anybody that I knew because I didn't believe in it. And it was, it was a lesson for me that it's not about whether or not you can sell something. It's about doing something that you, you believe in. And I think that kind of became my, my motto without me even realizing it from that point forward. And I ended up not even doing, finishing with a medical degree, but then moving into business, which I largely attribute to my experience with selling Cutco knives. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Who knew? <laughs> Ch- changed my entire path. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And yeah. any other lessons or experiences or memories that you feel stand out from, from that first summer? Uh, I think one of the one of the things that I didn't realize, you know, that with also the personal skills that I ended up getting. I mean, here I am. I'm this this young. I'm a teenager at the end of the day, out there in these. I remember going in, into these different types of like competitions, and I I became so motivated by this this community that I was a part of, and I didn't realize at the time. And this is, and we'll get into this when we talk about kind of Chloe and Isabel, but the importance that when you're learning how to communicate with someone else, it's like sales, you are going to be selling your ideas and your, there are so many elements that are so important that you learn how to do for your entire career, no matter what industry you're in. I had to go in and walk into my CEOs of a $4 billion company. I've got to go into that CEO's office and I have to convince them why they should give me the money to roll out this program, right? Or it could be, I mean, honestly, it could be anything at all. Just how do you get people to connect with you and understand what you're saying? And all of those, I believe it, like the majority of that foundational skill set really happened through this experience because nothing else I'd ever done had involved having to communicate with people that I didn't even know and not only educate somebody, but really impart a, a passion about something to someone else. And that's the thing that I, I think so many people get caught up in an industry and in sort of like this, a job path, if you will, like a career path. And they completely lose sight of how important it is to follow something with both purpose and passion. And that, that to me was the, the game changer that set my life on, on that other path. But there were so many, so many fond memories. It was the best summer and you know what's really funny? There was a quote that someone said to me, and I can't remember if it was Jesse or if it came from one of those, those meetings in, in Sacramento, but it stayed with me for my entire life. And I remember it was one of the foundational things I even said at Chloe and Isabel. And it was that somebody said 
that it takes 10 no's to get a yes. And I remember feeling like that was the most empowering thing anybody had ever said to me. And I never was upset about hearing no ever again. Whether it was in fundraising, when you're meeting with investors, like every time I got a no, I was like, oh, I'm that much closer to my yes. Like it was (laughs) weird relief that I would feel like, oh, I've got to hurry up and get through my 10 no's, you know? And by sharing that with other people, you're no longer afraid of the no. You're actually excited to to realize that it's it's about working through, being able to take it, pick yourself up and go again, pick yourself up, go again. And then it no longer becomes frustrating or even it doesn't even feel like hard work anymore. It's just part of the process. Yeah. Great, great concept. I love it. And uh, Kristen Sunday was a brand new rep in that same office that summer, right? Yes. Yeah. We went to high school together. We were both at the same Mercy High School. And then when I launched Chloe and Isabel, she was with me. I, I brought her on board for the first those first few years as we were getting started. Let's make sure we get into all that stuff here uh, in regards to launching Chloe and Isabel. I just want to make sure we connect the dots after, yeah. after oh. college, you, you got into the jewelry industry. I worked for... A lot of the large companies, I went from Target Corporation to Macy's to Gap Inc. to LVMH. So I worked in corporate retail. I never actually worked like in stores. So I was always in buying. Right. But I got to see what, you know, I was I was putting the products in, but I saw I was working directly with all the brands. And I think that's where I found that I wanted to specialize and be in the jewelry industry. Because if you're going to launch your own brand, it's really important that you understand what it meant to even build a brand for these companies. What does the role of private label versus licensing deals? And so being able to, to launch jewelry, like I launched jewelry for Old Navy, you know, understanding what that looked like versus launching brands at Macy's versus running Cartier and Van Cleef and Arpel for DFS. Like They're all wildly different experiences, but ones that I thought were incredibly important to understand before even making the choice of what kind of business do I want to launch? And do I want to, do I want to sell into to one of these retailers? And that was something that I thought I would want to do for, for many years until I, I ended up going to the other side where I was working in, well, vendor side, we, we call it. And I was suddenly doing all the design and development for these licenses and selling them into all of the retailers across the United States. And, and that's when I, I got my first, I would say, front row seat at how much the world was changing. Yeah. We were seeing and, the efficiencies going away. Right. I had gone into corporate fashion and retail and I'd spent my career, you know, climbing that that corporate ladder. And I always knew I was going to have my own, my own business. You know, that was always the goal. But once I saw how much the world had been changing, and when e-commerce launched, and I saw that these very large organizations weren't understanding the role that e-commerce was going to play for them, that started to scare me. I just saw a world where you could no longer build build your business on the back of a, of a Macy's or in, in Target, any of them really, because you have to be able to connect directly to a consumer in order to run something, in my mind, more efficiently. And that's where my entire model, when I decided to launch my own brand, that was ultimately the reason why I went direct, but wanted to do it in a way that really leveraged technology, leveraged social media. And we were the very first social retail platform to exist. And so obviously all this change happened during this time. You spent 15 years during this time rising the ranks. 
in the industry. And then I guess we would say one of the most important moments of your life, you were offered your dream job and you you turned it down. Yeah. So I (laughs) had my first child. I was on maternity leave and it was the first time in my entire life that I, I wasn't working. I mean, I've literally been working since I was 12 (laughs) and I had, you know, however many months, months off. And I wrote a business plan because I was, I was bored, you know, and I, I'd always thought about it, but you know, there is, there was this combination of, I know I need to be doing this. I know I need to be thinking about this. Let me just put it, let me just write this out and see what it looks like. And then at the same time, my mom was losing her battle with breast cancer. And I remember going and visiting her because I was in New York. She was in California and she was in hospice at the time and she could barely speak. And she says to me, I don't know, you know, what's going on, but, but the daughter that I knew would have never been afraid to do this. Like what's taking you so long? Cause I'd always talk about like, Oh, I'm going to launch my own company someday. Someday I'm going to do this. And you know, I always felt like I was an entrepreneur inside these businesses. I looked at my CEOs as someone who gave me money to run my own business. So I was always running a business on someone else's dime, really. But obviously, I had to hit these performance markers. So it was very safe. You know, I was taking, at the end of the day, the safe route. And I came out, you know, she when she passed away, uh, three months later, I made my last day at the company I was with at the time... I made my last day of work what would have been her birthday. It was June 25th. Right prior prior to that, a designer, which was my favorite fine jewelry designer, had been for years. Her name's Apolita. Absolutely. She's an amazing artist, sculptor, just beautiful, beautiful jewelry, had offered me this job as, as chief merchant of her company. And that's really what I was, my whole entire goal you know, was that was what I wanted to be a chief merchant, you know, like that, that was my, my C. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to be the CEO. I wanted to be in my lane and, and be doing that. And they offered me the job and I just thought, Oh my God, like, do I, do I push it off again? And now, you know, I'm living in the West village in New York city. My husband's company had just been acquired for like the third time. And so we've got like this mortgage, we've got a baby. We have all these expenses. And I'm like, you know what? No, I have to pursue this. So I remember going back to them and saying, I can't take it. And then we ended up, she's like, well, what if you, you know, I explained why. And so we ended up coming up with this agreement where if I didn't raise the money by November, then I would take it full time with her. So I'd work part time until that November. And I signed a term sheet on November 18th which was my son's one-year birthday. It was crazy. Yeah. Wow. Colleen Isabel was born. Awesome. That's amazing. (laughs) And you decided that Colleen Isabel was going to be a social selling brand. You were not going to go the retail route, even though that's the industry you had been in for your whole career. Tell us again, uh, some of the details on why you decided to go that direction. So it was a combination of things, but I would say not only was I seeing, obviously, the impact of just technology and what I felt was retail being left behind, of them just not understanding how to treat e-commerce. But in addition to that, that was also when the financial crisis happened. And you saw unemployment rates 
skyrocketing and you were seeing especially the college age person i mean there were staggering numbers around you know a percentage were going back home to live with mom and dad they couldn't get jobs we were visiting unemployment rates that were just again historical highs and i remember thinking are they going to go in the they need to go and be doing things like Cutco, right? It's like, yeah. how do you make sure that you there's this entire generation who needs the skill set so they don't become a lost generation? And rather than just like sitting home and doing nothing and living off of mom and dad, how do you make sure that when the economy does in fact recover, you have a, a skill set that can get you that job? Mm-hmm. And my my entire mindset just kind of went to that. And I thought, well, what if I build a brand that instead can be sold directly but give it an opportunity to actually train people. And, to, and I was very hyper-focused on this sort of college-age person, knowing that they needed to learn how to do these different things. So I went into this thinking, how do I just take the Cutco model, but build it in a way that is targeting these college students and creating an academy to give them sort of like that skill set. Because that's what I was so grateful for that I got is, I mean, there was so much incredible training that I received. I remember being so excited to go to Sacramento because I get extra training, you know, like I I just wanted, you know, I was young. We were, you know, at that age, you just want to learn, you want to soak it all up. And so that's really where I, I set out to not only design a really high quality, beautiful fashion jewelry brand, but the Chloe and Isabel Academy really launched at that point. And it became all about how do we integrate with all of their social platforms? How do we build something? Because nothing existed back then. It was like Instagram had just launched. And we were the first to build something that integrated with Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter. And we had it connected to everything with their own personalized online boutiques. And I was just really teaching them how to be a storefront. You know, like I didn't even know, like I didn't know a traditional direct sales company. I didn't know about downlines or anything like that. So it was never even about that. Like we never Mm -hmm. built any of that into our model. It really mirrored the Cutco way that I had experienced. And that really resonated with a younger generation because they could focus on learning these selling skills. And was it targeted mostly young women as your sales reps? I think that even though, I mean, it wasn't necessarily like super intentional, but yes, <laughs> we always said we have, we have a lot of great women and a few good men. <laughs> there were a few in there, but yeah, I mean, it was something that I, mean, I think jewelry kind of naturally lent itself to that, but I was wanting to build a platform that could help women see themselves as entrepreneurs running their own businesses and giving them the confidence to take the reins and not feel like, okay, well, this is this is the safe path. I think what I discovered, even being an entrepreneur, a venture-backed entrepreneur, where I was the 1% in there too, right? Like I would go to a, a investor conference and it was all men, you know, and a, and a couple of women. And what I can say is that I feel like women can, I mean, this is, I'm making a generalization, but I feel like we can be risk averse at times. And whereas I'd meet these male entrepreneurs who were like, they were almost, in my mind, recklessly optimistic. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, oh my God. Like they, but you kind of almost need that to do what everyone thinks is crazy, anyways. And so the idea that I could kind of reach out to this this group of women or this 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 demographic 
and say, you can, you can be like this too. Like take the risk. Don't be afraid to jump in. Don't be afraid of failure because that's where you're going to learn the most. You know, it wasn't my successes where I learned. It was from failing that I truly grew. So I think having that, that conversation and having that narrative available to them was, was really important to me to help them achieve whatever it is that they wanted. That was the CNIY. We created this thing where when you applied to become a merchandiser, the most important piece there was this paragraph that you filled out and it was called the CNIY uh, for Chloe and Isabel. And we wanted to know why you were there because it wasn't about, for me, it wasn't about selling jewelry. It wasn't about the sales. I wanted to know what you wanted to achieve. And sometimes it was financial. Sometimes it was, I want to go back to, I had I remember reading this one where it was um, a young girl who wanted to be able to visit her home country in South Korea and she just wanted to like make enough money to be able to go there others wanted to be able to have a creative outlet because they were in a job that they you know maybe didn't love <laughs> they were they weren't inspired by I mean there yeah. was such a why or they just wanted to like build the confidence to feel like they know how they they have like the sales knowledge to be able to land their dream job in corporate retail you know I'll never forget the day that the CEO of a very large company called me up and said, Hey, is, you know, I want to talk to you about, you know, Amanda, so-and-so. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, why is this guy calling me about a merchandiser right now? <laughs> I was completely stunned. And she was interviewing for a job. And he goes, I want to read you her resume. And he read her resume to me about being, I mean, she came straight out of school and became a, a Chloe as well merchandiser. And what she, what he read to me was so impressive, and I'm I'm like literally looking her up online. I was like, oh my god, is this even true? And like it was all true. I was like, oh yeah, I'm like she's a little rock star. He's like, I just want you to know that she just beat out like 15 other candidates who have actual corporate retail experience, but we are giving her we're not only giving her the job, but we're creating one in accessories because we were so impressed with her. And I just thought, even though I knew I was about to lose a merchandiser who was really successful, I couldn't have been more excited because that was why Chloe and Isabel existed. You know, it's like, you know, go, go and achieve that dream. So, I mean, it was really at that point in time that I even realized my purpose. You know, I, here I was in retail thinking, oh, I want to build a beautiful jewelry brand. I want to like, I'm in fashion. And I realized that what truly fulfilled me was that I needed to be in a service industry. Like I needed to be of service to people. And that's why Chloe and Isabel was so fulfilling because when I did end up moving on, and I launched a brand that wasn't totally focused on that, I was not as happy. Wow. Chantel, I, I just, I'm struck by all the parallels to how we see what we do at Cutco with what you just said right there, that it, it you know, you said it's not a, it wasn't about selling jewelry, right? It was like, you realize that that's a byproduct of investing totally. in and developing people providing opportunities, providing a great fertile ground for them to grow in. And all the things that we try to do at Cutco, is, it was the same thing for yeah, you there. Yeah, what Cutco did for me. It, right, and I, I right. felt that. Like they, de- they invested in my development and it paid a hundredfold. Yeah, that's, it's just amazing for me to hear. And the CNI why and having people you know, provide that to you. What were their reasons why they were doing what they were doing and what did they want? And I just feel like that's what we do now is we try to help connect people's long-term dreams and how what they're doing at Cutco can help them get to those things, whether it means they end up leaving the company or they stay with the company and they use the financial resources to achieve their dreams. Just how we connect people from where they are to where they want to go down the road 
and and why that's such an important part of the culture that retains people and keeps people wanting to be in the business. Uh, Absolutely. I, I had a conversation like this with a group of what I like to call wizards of the Silicon Valley here where I live. It's this group that I host for dinners every once in a while. And we we really dig into dug into this aspect of culture in a company. And the question that I was trying to get to was like, can this philosophy exist in a publicly held corporation versus <laughs> in a place like Cutco where it's privately held? And of course it can at some level and it does in a lot of, uh, of the, the better companies, but there were a couple of guys in the room that didn't believe in it. There were a couple of guys that were like, you know what, where I work, like people just want to make money. You know, that's <laughs> what we're trying to help them do. We're just trying to help them make as much money as possible. And it wasn't the same mindset around developing people around helping people achieve their own personal dreams. Oh, um, yeah. All of Which, these things. Your point you know, is a byproduct like, of focus. If you're focused on the right things, those things will come naturally. Yeah. But it's not the focus. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I mean, you had amazing successes during your run with Chloe and Isabel. You were named one of the top CEOs in New York City. Tell us about some of the successes was, and, and some of the challenges that uh, uh, that you went through. I call it the blur. <laughs> like, because here I was with it with a newborn, right? <laughs> I had like an infant and then I ended up having like another child during this process. And whereas Chloe and Isabel was like having twins. You know? So it was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was so fast and furious. We grew very quickly. I mean, we scaled from like zero to 50 million in like five years and also raised 50 million. Like it was constant, you know, back to back sort of like fundraising that was happening. and hitting there's a whole circuit that you kind of go through but the the growth was happening so rapidly and i think in many ways it was this because we were hitting on something this sense of community that people wanted to be a part of i mean to this day i hear from merchandisers every week i mean there isn't a, a week in my life that goes by and i also keep track of them like i'm absolutely amazed at how many of them have gone on to launch their own businesses and are doing really exciting and important things. And I think the idea that, you know, you can instill in someone else to be of service to others, that's what surprised me is how many of them ended up launching things that was helping a community and being part of a community. And, and there's nothing that can replicate that, the stickiness of that. And that's what surprised me is they came back and, you know, after I had left Chloe and Isabel, and that was, that was a very, very tough decision when, I sold the company and I didn't, I didn't stay on. And like, I don't even know how much I can talk about that. But there was just some philosophical differences that were so important to me that I, I had to move on and start something else. But, or I took time off actually, initially before I went into something else. But the number of times that I've had someone reach out and say, I tried to find something else. I tried to do something else. And it's just not Colleen Isbell. And that surprised me. I'm like, you can't find a single company out there in this space that makes you feel the way that we made you feel. And I I didn't realize how much that would be important to them. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of great products out there. You know, you can go out and find a brand, you can find something that's beautiful and wonderful that I'm sure people will want to buy, but that wasn't enough for them having experienced what they did with that that community. Yeah. Amazing to hear. I love it. So you did ultimately leave in 2017. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about your <laughs> path since then. 
So at that point, I decided to take a little bit of time off because I, I mean, I really did work probably what some might think are insane hours. And I wanted to at least remember some of the years of my children's lives. <laughs> so it's so sad. I'm like, I, I just wanted to be present for at least a part of it. I ended up launching another business that was launching brands for influencers, which was great. COVID hit, which kind of put a halt on it because nothing was being manufactured and ultimately ended up selling that company as well to a manufacturing facility that did business in all sorts of countries because that's what you needed post in a post-COVID world. But um, what I discovered in doing that is that what truly brings me joy is helping others realize their dreams. I had been chasing my dreams my whole life and I was and I was reaching them. But now I had a family and I I kind of checked all these boxes, but now I also wanted to make sure that I was doing a good job being a role model for my children, not just by by being this entrepreneur and being this businesswoman, but by also being a good a good mom. But I always knew I was going to be doing both. And so I needed something that allowed me that flexibility for for a change. And I started working with entrepreneurs that were creative entrepreneurs. And that's the other thing that I realized from being in in a venture-backed business is there is a profile. I'd go in a room and everyone's kind of the same. They're coming out of the same schools. And I actually was different. I was not the norm. Everyone kind of comes out of the same, you know, five to eight schools. They they just have very similar profiles. And I thought, well, what about all these amazing creative entrepreneurs that maybe don't have that background, who's going to help them scale a business? And I kind of tested that out with one company and helped them raise money so that they could scale their business. And it was amazing. It was like this amazing feeling to be able to help someone else realize their dreams because they just don't have, happen to have that exact skill set, but they have the important one, which is the vision and the passion, right? Like that's what it takes to get something off the ground. And then now I've I've been doing that. I, I take, you know, I basically advise. I do a combination of advising entrepreneurs and, and CEOs to taking a more hands-on approach where I come in and I'm president of their company, I never want to become the CEO of a company where there is a founder. I think it's very important that they retain that position because they're the chief visionary for their for their company. But I'm there just to really help them support, put in the infrastructure to prepare for, for scale and achieve whatever it is, whether it's raising money, whether it's selling the company, whether it's just simply creating a profitable company. How can I be of service to them and helping them realize their dreams? Yeah. Fantastic. I just I love the the recurring theme of servant leadership that you're describing of of striving to find ways of bringing value uncommon value to the people that you're working with and 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 that in that process obviously you've reaped great rewards throughout your career it's a cool cool way of viewing leadership that I that uh, I think people can really gain a lot by hearing yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think the most important thing is that people really pursue what their passions are and and make sure that there is purpose. I, I think it's hard to find happiness and success if there isn't purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's a great message. How about uh, if you could speak directly to the young women listening, Chantel, and what would you have to say? I'm sure that the concepts will resonate for the men listening as well, but what, what would you... <laughs> What would you have to say that uh, could be inspiring or 
helpful to the the many young women who are probably listening to this? Huh. There's a couple of things that kind of as as I look back on my journey, I think one is you know not being afraid to to ask for help or to to lean on someone else if you need something. I think women especially tend to feel like I can do this on my own. Being a CEO and an entrepreneur is such a lonely place to be. And I fought so hard to like be able to be that person that knew all the answers for such a long time when there's such a wealth of knowledge out there and people that are willing to help. And that's why I love helping them now because I remember being that person being like, oh my God, what do I do now? Or like, how am I going to navigate this road? And it's, you know, not being afraid to, I think, ask for help and and knowing that there are, you know, really capable people out there that can take you on that journey and not being afraid of failing. You know, I think that is, there's also that feeling of like, I can't, I can't get this wrong. I can't, you know, this has to succeed. And while the journey, I have this great, there's this, this chart, which I'm sure you've seen. It's a little like cartoon graphic that I had up on my wall the entire time at Chloe and Isabel. And it was so important to me. And it was this person who was on this journey, climbing over these hills. And it's like, they fall into a swamp and then they climb up another one and they like fall into like this swamp pit or this quicksand, you know, and they get back out of that one. And each time they they get up and they think, oh, I'm there, something else happens. And, and the longest, the longest trail up where they're like climbing up this mountain and there's like ladders and you're like just about to give up. When you get to the top of that one final hill is the finish line. And it's, you can't see it. You don't realize it's there, but it's just knowing that like each time that you think you have hit like rock bottom and you can't possibly go on, you know, you pick yourself up because it's just around the corner. And that to me was the most important thing is, is just not giving up and finding that strength to like get through that moment because tomorrow is going to be another day. And brighter days are ahead. And they're largely were amazing days. It's just that when you're, it's a roller coaster and there's going to be times that are going to be really, really tough. And you are going to have moments where you did something and it was a total failure. I mean, (laughs) there are several things that stand out in my mind (laughs) where I'm like, oh my God, that was a major mistake. (laughs) And you have to like recover and and move on and you ultimately make things better, you know, as, as a result. So it's like not being afraid of failure, not being afraid of asking for help. And then I think one of the things that concerns me a little bit in, in today's world is it is important to get experience. You know, I think a lot of people want to just go straight into like launching their own business, straight into being an entrepreneur. And I think that that's great too. I mean, I think there's certainly examples where that can, that can, work because I ask my investors all the time like why did you invest in me like why why was I the different one that didn't fit the profile and it's because I had worked in these large organizations and seen what it looks like at scale and I had learned some best practices and even though they weren't maybe as innovative innovative and nimble as we needed to be at this point in our really this paradigm shift that happened from technology I could have never been as successful as I was had I not worked in those companies and seen how it it was done at scale. So like, you know, also don't be afraid of maybe working in what feels like a soul-crushing environment (laughs) to get the right experience, knowing that it's a part of the journey and it's a part of the education. Yeah, you got to put your time in. And there's different ways to do that, but that definitely is a part of the experience of getting to where you want to be, for sure. 
I mean, hard, hard work at the end of the day, it's a lot of hard work, but if you love what you're doing, you know, it, it doesn't feel like work. And that's, I feel very fortunate that I can say it's just never, it's never felt like work. I've always loved it no matter when it's been tough or easy. Yeah. That's so great. So great. Congratulations on just such a great career and a great run that you've had. I mean, it's been, it's been cool to see it from afar. So. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's been, yeah. uh, I always think about you guys fondly and miss those days, miss our <laughs> trips to Sacramento. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 30 years, Chantel. I, I was talking to uh, one of Kristen Sunday's pupils recently uh, who was featured on the podcast. And she said she was having a conversation with Kristen where the question came up of what if we had never done Cutco? Oh my God. Right? <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine, honestly. I, I mean, I don't even know that I would have ever entered business school. You know what I mean? Like I, I literally changed from, you know, one school in Santa Clara to another <laughs> and changed my major. I, I, I don't even know, you know, if that would have been a thought. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm so well, grateful for it. I'm glad to hear that it has had a profound impact on your career and that uh, in, in all the things you've done, you still look back on those early lessons and are implementing and using the things you learned from selling Cutco. Oh, so many things too. <laughs> it's crazy. It, yeah. It's had probably the single greatest impact on my life was selling those knives. <laughs> yeah. But it's more than anything else. It was just the the community and the leadership that they created around them. It was it was the people. I mean, that ultimately, yes, I think that Cutco is an amazing product, but they do such an incredible job of finding these really dynamic, passionate leaders that can impart that knowledge on people. I had multiple people from you to Jesse that just inspired me in ways that stood with me. You know, it was really, it was profound, the impact that it had on me, just meeting people like you. So yeah. it's, they do a great job of picking their people and keeping their culture alive. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, thank you for saying that. So uh, Chantel, as you look uh, into your own future, what uh, inspires or motivates you now? Ah. Well, it's certainly, you know, the whole concept of of paying it forward. I think I'm at a point now where I want to see my children become those change makers, you know, in, in whatever form that it, it looks like. I'm, we're constantly talking about, you know, what what do we see as as kind of the needs in the world and how can we start to have that impact in a positive way, whether it's working with children, whether it's working with, you know, other adults. But I love that I finally have, you know, I'm at a, a point where I can have these conversations daily, not only with my, my family, but I'm, I'm able to like live in, and I think stop and smell the roses at different points in the day. I found kind of my happy place. And I think it's understanding like what makes you happy on this next journey. And it's like building that community around you, focusing on, on the people that you love, but also always having the ability to have a positive impact in whatever capacity that makes sense for you. And I'm just so grateful that I have the the time and capacity to do something like that. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, you got any uh, last words of wisdom or anything else you might want to share with the audience, Chantel? Oh, God. I mean, just, I feel like every day is just, it's a gift. It's precious. And I think be grateful for, for every every moment that you can do whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And I think not sweating the small stuff. Like I, I see so many people worry and stress 
And I think, you know, the only person that can can make you unhappy is you, you know, like you have the ability to control how you let things affect you. And life is, I believe, way too short to not be happy. So I think just finding that in whatever you do and just not sweating the small stuff. Yeah, that's a great final lesson right there. I appreciate hearing it. Love that we got together here for this long time coming. Glad we finally made it happen. Thank <laughs> I'm you. so glad. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Chantel Waterbury, everyone. I'm so glad that we are finally able to share her and her story with this audience. Think about the very beginning. I mean, not the kind of kid that every business would be excited about recruiting into their organization at the outset, right? I mean, came from a difficult personal situation, emancipated on her own, didn't have all the same resources as others might have. And yet, these are the stories that I think are most inspiring and most exciting to be a part of when you are a Cutco Vector district manager and you have the chance to share the opportunity with people like that and and provide this fertile ground in which they can grow and show their capabilities. And Chantel certainly did that, again, as a college All-American right out of the gate her very first summer. Learning lessons like doing something you believe in, being motivated by community, developing a foundational skill set that matters everywhere in life, the ability to sell, and of course, the importance of purpose and passion in what you do. These are all things she carried with her into Chloe and Isabel, her own business. And I love that she quickly realized that it, it wasn't about selling jewelry. Of course, that was the end goal. That's how they became profitable and successful and sustainable, right? But it was about investing into the people that came into her team and developing others that through that process, all of the other goals would be achieved. She said, what truly brings me joy is helping others achieve their dreams. And I just, I, I loved that quote that Chantel shared. She also said something in, in trying to address young women in the audience about the importance of asking for help. I have found a very interesting paradox applies when you think about this concept. And as Chantel herself said earlier, this is a little bit of a generalization. It's not always true, but it is largely true, at least in my experience. And that is this, that on the personal side, women tend to be very open with each other in sharing challenges and experiences, whether it's relationship challenges or life challenges or challenges with kids or anything along those lines, like women tend to be very open in having those conversations. It's men that are not very open in having those kinds of personal, deep, vulnerable conversations. On the business side, that gets flipped around because women tend to have a fear or concern about how they are viewed by all of the men around them in positions of leadership and are they strong enough? Are they capable enough? Sometimes they're afraid to be a little bit vulnerable because they might not be seen as being as strong and capable as they need to be. That's a whole nother topic on why that probably should not be the case. But I think that that's a reality out there that women face 
in business, whereas men don't really face that. And they're always talking with each other about challenges in business and how can we improve and how can we get better and all of these kinds of things. Those things sort of flip from personal to business. And Chantel also described for me off camera afterwards that a lot of times women have a more of a competitiveness with each other in business where they're less likely to want to help each other. These are interesting observations and things to think about. And as women listening, I do think it's important to be okay with being a little bit vulnerable when you need help in your businesses, because that's how you are going to thrive and creating environments where you're cooperative and helpful with each other is so important. And Vector has a women's leadership network where we try to help provide that forum for women all across the country to be helping each other. And for men, I think the vulnerability side applies on the personal side. Think about being willing to share yourself and share your challenges and share your truth, so to speak. I had a very powerful conversation with Dr. Kelly Flanagan, which was episode number 400 on this podcast. And I really want to recommend anyone listening to revisit that conversation. It is deep. It is powerful. It is very important. And it's a conversation that I know Dr. Kelly and I are both very proud of that we would want you to hear. Toward the end, Chantel said that nowadays she's got a lot more time to smell the roses. She realizes the importance of happiness. I've got this little journal that we have in our house that we keep track of some stuff in, and the cover says happiness is the most important. And I think that's a good lesson to leave you with for today. As you are striving for all the things that you want in life, just remembering that being happy on a day-to-day basis is probably more important than our income, our goals, our achievement, or anything. I know they all tend to tie together, but choosing to be happy no matter what, I think is a great philosophy to have first. Hope you enjoyed getting to know Chantel Waterbury today. Thank you very much for supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 